How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling. However, one of our newest segments, this is the first time we're doing it, tentatively we're calling it Random Match Reviews, where one of us has sent the other one a match to watch randomly out of the blue, and then we will share our thoughts here for you all. And it could be any type of match, which is pretty much what this one was. And I'm going to let Leonard introduce it because he's the one that sent it to me. So, Leonard, go ahead. Yeah, this is from June of 1997 on Raw. It was the opener that night. Uh, it is Bobby Fulton versus Tommy Rogers. The Fantastics explode. And <laughs> I love that. That's what they should have said on commentary. Yes. And uh, commentary is by Jim Ross and Vince McMahon. And I'll get to that in a moment. But, but let me tell you how I originally found this match. Uh, a few years ago, my friend Brian uh, went with me to an indie wrestling show nearby where Ricky Steamboat was at. And uh, it was not a Bobby Fulton show. I've talked before about how Bobby Fulton runs shows here in Ohio. Uh, but the promoter rented his ring, and Bobby was there. And they were having some trouble getting the ring set up. And so Bobby got a mic and cut like a five-minute promo, hyping the show, hyping the fans, getting things going. And my friend Brian was just like, who, you know, who is that guy? You know, it's very old school and just the way that he, you know, could work a mic. And I said, oh, it's a guy named Bobby Fulton. And then in the match, you know, you could tell he was older. But again, Brian recognizes, oh, he knows how, you know, tell a story and put a match together and how to move in the ring and all this. So I looked up some YouTube matches of Bobby Fulton to send them. And I found this. I'd never seen it, never heard about it. And supposedly the background here is that um, Jim Ross was pushing a light heavyweight division for the WWF at the time. And this was right around the time where WCW was starting to really get traction with their cruiserweight division. Right. And so Jim Ross, of course, had Fulton Rogers on speed dial and <laughs> had them come in. To kind of show Vince what this could be. And I don't believe we today would consider Fulton Rogers to be traditional cruiserweights. Right. But certainly at the time, they worked a style different than maybe your bigger, bigger wrestlers. And uh, on commentary, you hear Vince basically flat out asking Jim Ross, who are these guys? Right. What is their style? What is their story? And I like how Jim subtly puts over why Bobby is working heel and Tommy's working face. I can see that being a coin flip before they walked out. Yeah, and I liked the Jim Ross's commentary. I mean, you know, if you had no idea who they were before the match, then you walked out of it knowing a lot more and potentially being curious about what they've done. So, yeah. But, yeah. You know, yeah. But it's under five, it's under five minutes, and it feels more like an exhibition. You know, not every match we're going to pick for this series, I would call a quote-unquote great match, but it's going to be something interesting or unique or off the beaten track to talk about, which I felt this was. To my knowledge, it's the only match in the WWF that both these guys had, Goldman Rogers. Uh, and, you know, it, it felt kind of like if you would bring in a, a, a class, a wrestling class, you know, Tommy Rogers going, here's how you do a head scissors. Bobby right. Fulton saying, hey, here's how you do an elbow off the apron and you don't hurt yourself and you don't hurt your opponent. Um, the, the elbow off the apron is probably the best spot in the match that Fulton does on Rogers. Rogers does some nice head scissors. Um, it's a very uh, qu quick match, uh, but uh, just an interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it to be a really solid short TV match. 
Yes. You know, good work by both guys. And uh, the finish being used before it was named this was the unprettier. Oh, yeah. Which I found to be fascinating. I thought the Christian invented that move. And clearly somebody has done it before. Um, but I found that interesting. I was like, wow, that's actually how it's going to end. And, uh, you know, Bobby Fulton, somebody needs to ask him why he chose the tights that he did. Because yes, yeah, I've seen these tights before. I forget who used tights like this yeah. or other than Flojo in the Olympics. But, uh, you know, I just I don't know. That's why I think that's why in our previous stupid question uh, edition, Leonard, I asked you what attire you would wear. Uh, because I was thinking, you know, subconsciously about his tights here being without one leg and without one leg, which is just odd to look at. Yeah, it's a long tight and a short trunk put together. And I know someone recently or, you know, recently was in the past five years or so has worn tights like that. I just don't remember who it was. Uh, but, yeah, it's really well. Next time I run to Bobby Fulton in a show, I'll have to ask him about that and see if he, he, he remembers. And they do the Chillicothe uh, name drop. Which is that? That's why I thought you sent this to me because they mentioned yes. Chillicothe, and uh, of course Leonard and I went there to a convention. Um, so it, it was fun to to watch this. It wasn't long, mm -hmm. you know. It is worth watching. It's it's available on YouTube, uh, June sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven, as Leonard said. Yeah, and just to mention too, the video on YouTube altogether runs a little over six minutes because it includes. Uh, the introduction of Sable, who was a special guest ring announcer. That's right. And it works into the storyline that she had at the time where her husband, Mark Merrow, uh, didn't like her doing stuff for the company and was trying to cover her up with baggy T-shirts and, and things right. like that. And then after the match, he comes out and, drag, and drags her off. So it's working that storyline around the match. Right. Well, check it out. Let us know what you think about the match. Uh, um, we'll try to provide a link in the uh, description here for you. And uh, for Leonard, my name is Chad. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our full-length episodes as well. Thank you, and we will see you next time. This is our second installment of our random match reviews, as it's tentatively called anyway. And basically, one of us has sent the other a random match to view, and then we share our thoughts here for you all and maybe invite you to go check out the match and let us know what you thought about it. And last week, we had Leonard share his match. This week, it was my turn. And the match I chose was from May 25th, 2000. It is from the Brian Pillman Memorial Show. And it is between William Regal and Chris Benoit. Now, the reason I chose this match was because I recently listened to the debut episode of the Gentleman Villain podcast which is uh, uh, William Regal, and it's hosted by Matt Kuhn of the Conrad Thompson Network of Podcasts there. And uh, he talked about the man-man's character, and this match occurred during a period where Regal was on and off his substance abuse issues, and um, he, was, he had been rehired to WWE, but was working in the Memphis area. He hadn't been put back on the main roster yet. And uh, I guess the, the myth is that this match got him rehired to WWE, but actually that wasn't the case. He was already hired. He was just not moved up to TV yet. And uh, 
the commentary here is interestingly between Michael Cole and Dr. Tom Pritchard. And uh, I will not give my thoughts yet, Leonard, but because this was your first time watching it. Yeah, I had not seen it, wasn't, wasn't aware of it. Um, and I would say I really liked the, the commentary because it wasn't yeah. so much them, because they were definitely calling it from the future. Yes. You know, it wasn't there. Um, the, the context I got from references made was this was right around the time that Benoit had won the world title in the WWF, and they were kind of looking back at so this might have been part of a benoit retrospective from period i don't know yeah and you know what i'm thinking about this might be on the now very elusive hard knocks chris benoit dvd set that uh you know you can find out there on ebay yeah Uh, but at the time that set was a big deal because it had a lot of these really rare cool matches of his and as I, as the memory is starting to go off now, it, that match might be on there, which is why you have these commentators. But anyway. Yeah. And I like how Cole is asking Tom Pritchard a lot of questions to explain, uh, you know, why they're doing what they're doing, why this is such a good match. And I thought it was very interesting that this is a match that Tom Pritchard shows his students, you know, right. at the wrestling school and uh, why he shows it to them. And uh, I thought it was very interesting how he says that within the first four minutes, you can hear people chant boring, boring, yep. and they get into it and they're totally into it. And this is only like a, what, about 12 minute match? 12 yeah, minutes. roughly. And just the way that it builds from yeah. they start out steadily, but then it just keeps building and they just keep building that pace little by little. Uh, to the point where the crowd is like really, really into it by the end. And it's a lot of, of, of back and forth, very even, very tr- trading off. It's not a, a traditional match where, you know, the face starts off, controls the first two, three minutes, the heels controls for the next so portion. It's just one guy hitting a move, the next guy countering that move, going back and forth on each other. Um, there's a spot where they're, locked up and Benoit starts throwing headbutts, which I've never, I don't think I've ever seen headbutts out of a lockup. Oh yeah. And winds up busting Regal open. So he's, he's bleeding. Um, Regal does a uh, Indian death block into a dragon sleeper at one point, which no one does that. That would be an amazing finisher for somebody. I may actually steal that for one of my wrestling events. E wrestling fancy feds. Um, that was a great match. Uh, the end was was really well done. Very very fantastic. Um, uh, I like too how you know you had uh, Pritchard mentions this. They're not playing to the crowd a lot. The only I think recognition of the crowds when Benoit does his usual you know the old Arn Anderson slit the throat move. Um, with, and and again too, it's not a lot of. I would say the quote unquote signature moves of these guys, you know, Benoit works in the German suplex, but right. it's very much of the match, the flow, the pace. It's just not Chris Benoit does a German suplex and I do it now type of thing. And flying headbutt, uh, you know, same thing. He misses it the first time, hits it the second. Uh, just, yeah, a very good for a match under 15 minutes. This is probably one of the best matches you'll you'll ever see from a technical standpoint. And that's why I'm glad we picked the matches we did, which were both fairly short. Yours was shorter than mine, obviously. Yeah. But um, 
the fact that these matches are not very long, but also are able to tell a story and be really fun to watch. And, you know, obviously, despite what we think about Chris Benoit these days, um, this was back at a time when he was obviously very good in the ring. And I, I also think that just William Regal is just so, to me, still underrated. Like he has had many, many good matches um, throughout the hills and valleys of his personal life. Uh, but uh, these guys worked really well together and uh, it's certainly worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Um, if you don't have the Chris Benoit box set, um, you can find it on YouTube and daily motion, I believe. So uh, I definitely recommend going to check it out and letting us know what you think about it. Oh, one thing we, I don't think we mentioned, it was part of the Brian Pillman tribute show. No, I mentioned that at the top, but yes. okay, I, I I I might miss that. I know you mentioned the year, but but I might miss it. You mentioned it was part of the tribute show, and it was from um, Cincinnati or just outside Cincinnati. I bet. Okay, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, they mentioned yeah, the I, name of the field house, which escapes me now, but I believe it's from the Cincinnati area. Okay, yeah, which is I, where Pillman was from. Exactly, and he was a Bengal as well. Yes, yes, he played for the Cincinnati Cincinnati Bengals. And I don't know what other matches were on this card. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm curious, but uh, yeah, and I know they did a Pillman show a couple years uh, in, in a row. Um, yeah, this was not the first one, I don't think. No, I believe this was the second one, and there might have yeah. been one or two more after that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, like I said, go check it out. Let us know what you think in the comments, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Check out our full-length episodes as well, and you can find us also on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify if you want to listen to us. For Leonard, my name is Chad, and we will see you next time. This is one of our random match reviews where one of us has sent the other person a random match from any time period or any company, and uh, we have to come on here and tell us, tell everybody what we think about it, and uh, it's usually a match that we haven't seen. And as is the case in this one, Leonard chose this one for me. So, Leonard, why don't you tell everybody about this match? Sure. So, recently we did our uh, uncensored 1996 rebook, and I mentioned about the history that Sherry Martell and Medusa Maselli had. And so, I thought to go look for one of those and found uh, this one here is the AWA Women's World Title Match. Uh, from May 2nd, 1987 at Super Clash 2 at the Cal Palace in San Francisco. The match is about 11 minutes long. Uh, Rod Trongard and Ray Stevens are on commentary. Sherry is accompanied to the ring by Doug Summers, who she was managing at the time. Um, one thing from the very beginning of the video, which I thought was very striking, is you see the women walk out, and behind them you see nothing but empty seats, which is very telling uh, about what uh, uh, the flop that this show was. You know, this was getting towards the dying era of the AWA. They were trying to expand, and uh, San Francisco was not part of their regular territory, and it didn't seem, at least from this video, that uh, they got much uh, out of this. Um, I like the road that Sherry comes out in. It has a dragon on the back. Uh, Medusa is rocking a serious Lita Ford look. Yeah, I wrote down, uh, it was very 80s hair, very much like a character out of Gem, the cartoon. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of stalling from Sherry to start, including her miming on the referee, things she doesn't want to see from Medusa in the match, like low blows and hair pulls. 
She then protests the crowd, booing her and chanting, Sherry sucks. She goes out on the apron and Medusa spanks her through the ropes. So it's a lot of that kind of classic old school heel stalling here at the very beginning. Um, but you can see really the personality that Sherry had um, from the start here. Um, surprisingly, I think Medusa looks a little greener, and she was. She had about right. half the experience that Sherry did at this point. Um, Medusa had about three years under her belt. Sherry was going on seven at the time, according to uh, Wikipedia. So into YouTube video, they don't actually lock up until about five minutes in into it. And then once the match gets going, it's pretty good. Medusa immediately shoves Sherry off to show her power. Sherry sells it well. They lock up. Medusa shoves her off again. So this is really kind of the story of Medusa using her strength and her size against Sherry who is more experienced and, of course, as the heel is willing to cheat uh, to get where she wants to do. Uh, Sherry does some great arm work with different uh, arm locks. Um, both women, I think, do a good job selling throughout this match. Um, so eventually, uh, Sherry rings the arm over the top rope, clubs Medusa on the mat. Medusa comes back with a vengeance with some nice forearm shots and a throw. Sherry confirms with Summers on the outside on the floor, uh, which I don't like that because Medusa needed, I think, more of a chance to shine. I think one thing negative I would say against this match is I think Sherry was maybe in control a little too much. Right. Um, they do a test of strength with Medusa winning, and Sherry breaks it with a headbutt to the gut. And I don't think I ever saw that before. Uh, but she's on her knees, and she just rams her head into Medusa to break the um, test of strength spot. She goes into a camel clutch, then into a surfboard, works the back more. Medusa gets a step over toe hold, which she does a rolling leg snap out of that, which looks good. She does it again. Uh, suplex gets a near fall. Knee lift leads to an arm ringer. Now Medusa's working the arm. Sherry breaks with the head scissors. That looks nice. Medusa works the arms some more. Gets a body slam for a near fall. Clothesline for a near fall. Airplane splant, air pin, airplane spin slam. Ha ha ha. Easy for you to say. Easy for me to say. It gets a big pop from the crowd, but Summers is distracting the referee. Medusa goes after Summers, and that's allow Sherry to get a schoolgirl roll up with a handful of tights for the win. I thought this was a very solid technical old school match. I like the arm work from both women. Sherry had a very unique arm lock on at one point. Uh, Medusa with their unique rolling leg lock. Uh, Sherry worked the crowd like a master. Medusa was green, but she held her own. And Sherry walked her through the match well. The ending is right for the time period, but it kind of sours it on me a little bit. I would like to have right. a clear winner, even if it's Sherry, you know, hitting a move and then grabbing the tights or having her feet on the ropes. Right. That's fine, but not that it's medusa getting suckered because of doug summers yeah so I give the match three and a half stars and i might have gone a little higher if it had had a more a better ending yeah i i i mean i agree with everything that you said uh you know this was kind of that classic heel distraction finish um which you know at the time it wasn't nearly as maybe overused as it is now but uh, uh i like this match uh, i did i thought it was really good mat work from both women and, uh, you know, you, you really see their talent, you know, on both sides here. Medusa is, is green, but she still works well. And I think Sherry really helps her through a, a really decent match. Um, 
Sherry's outfit was weird. The colors don't suit her. The yellow and the red, you know, and not just have nothing to do with Hogan, but like just, you know, I, I you would think an evil person like that would wear something other than yellow and red. Yeah, it almost looked like a, like an acrobat's costume. I thought yeah, that I, was I agree. Yeah, I mean, obviously the women today, there's much more uh, time spent on costumes, but uh, you know, uh, but to that end, Medusa's seemed fine. But uh, yeah, um, I I thought this match was very good. Uh, you know, I was anxious to watch it because I haven't seen a ton of Sherry work from an in-ring perspective. And, uh, you know, she wasn't too long for the AWA world. You mentioned the crowd and, you know, this was towards the tail end of AWA really desperate to try and stay alive. And, uh, you know, obviously Sherry would be jumping to WWE as would Medusa at some point. Uh, so yeah, it's good to see them hook up here. I wish they would have had a really good feud in WWF, but, uh, it's good that we have this match. So, well, if memory serves, Sherry was uh, the women's champion by the first Survivor Series, which was 87. Right. So he would be in WWE and their top lady not too long after this. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if you see this match, which is available on YouTube, uh, let us know what you think of it. And uh, please, uh, you know, chat with us in the comments. Uh, we'd love to hear from anybody. Uh, check out our full-length episodes. And you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. And for Leonard, my name is Chad. We will see you next time. This is another random match review where one of us has sent the other a random match, presumably that that person has not seen. And then we come on here and we share our thoughts on said match, which could be from any era of wrestling or any company. And we talk about it. And uh, they are always fun, short conversations that don't take up a lot of time. And on this occasion, I sent Leonard a match, and it is from AEW, which I know Leonard doesn't watch a lot of. No, and not anymore. I did when they first came out, but I haven't really watched anything current for quite a while. And I was going to select a match that neither of us had seen, Leonard, because there was a pay-per-view that I hadn't watched. You know, I know the results and everything, but I was trying to find... Uh, it was Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy in a Mimosa Mayhem match. <laughs> oh, I've heard of that. But right. Yeah. I, but you can't. So, like, AEW is, like, they don't play around with clips or full-length matches. Like, if it's not coming from their YouTube account, like, you won't be able to find it unless you buy the event on Bleacher Report Live. Um, because to date, they don't have a WWE Networks type thing or an Impact app or anything, like, comparable. So, I couldn't find that match. But what I could find was a match from Rampage on April 8th of this year, 2022. And it is a match that you will see mentioned in, you know, a lot of sites because it was between John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta, who is still the ROH pure champion. And uh, they had a number of matches, but this one that was on Rampage on a Friday night, I would say is one of their better ones. Um, and I, I just think that this is a good example of what AEW offers on their Friday show. It's not necessarily the highest profile of matches, but they're usually trying to showcase a younger talent or younger talents in some way. You'll have your squash, squash matches, which serve a purpose as well. But on the Friday show, they're trying to showcase some of the younger up and coming talent people that they want to get behind 
but uh, they might not have as much time to spotlight that person on Dynamite. And uh, this was a match where they were really kind of gearing and trying to almost haze Wheeler Yuta into joining the faction that uh, Moxley is a part of when Wheeler Yuta is now a part of called the Blackpool Combat Club, which uh, consists of Brian Danielson, John Moxley, uh, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta with Regal as their kind of mentor. Um, so that's the kind of thing you had going on here. Wheeler Yuta needed to go through the various members. Claudio was not around at this point, but uh, he needed to go through the various members to see if he was worthy enough of joining said faction. And uh, this just to me was a great match. Who And you could tell that AEW, whether it's Tony Khan or multiple people, are really high on Wheeler Yuta. And uh, this was meant to showcase that. And I think that even though he did not come out as the victor, I think they did a good job of, uh, of showcasing his talent. But maybe Leonard felt differently. Leonard, what did you think? I'm very conflicted on this match because when they actually wrestled, I thought it was very good. When they did the garbage stuff, I thought it was horrible. It was very awkward. It was very sloppy. It almost felt like they felt compelled to do it. Like, no one's going to care if we don't do this. But I thought the transitions in and out of the submission holds and the unique submission holds they did were great. The transitions in and out of the different moves they were doing and they were unique moves I thought were great. I liked the superplex spot where Moxley rakes Yuta's back just to be a dick. And you can tell just this look in his face when he does it. And then later when they get back up on the top rope, Yuta rakes Moxley's back to get back to him. That's a great bit of storytelling right there so th that was great i didn't like the fact that yuda bleeds so early and i didn't think he needed to bleed in this match for what the the end port in ring portions were of the i match. can add a footnote to that yes um, which i had forgotten about until you just mentioned it mm -hmm. and that was that moxley kind of put out a uh uh, uh, not a stipulation, but he said, the only way I'm going to, you know, have a bond with another person or in effect have this person join the faction is he's like, I've got to bleed with them first. So that was a setup prior to this match starting. Okay. Did Moxley bleed in the match? Because I don't remember him bleeding. I forget if he bled or not. So I had to bleed with a person, but I'm not going to bleed. They just have to bleed. He might, he might have bled in that match. I'm not sure. I don't remember. I don't remember seeing him bleed. As an but, overarching theme in AEW, they well, I get, I, 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 get, I get that part of it. Even with that, Yuta doesn't necessarily sell the blood. Like the commentators try to sell the bleeding, and he maybe wobbles. I think once in the match, but he's a hundred percent fine until Moxley locks him in the real naked choke, and then he passes out immediately. And then as soon as Regal and Danielson comes out, he's fine again. So it's like, I'm bleeding. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. Oh, I'm bleeding too much. Oh, I'm fine. So it, it wasn't carried off well, even with your addition. I don't think that was carried off very well. Also, the table spot is horrible because when they first do it, I saw it and I go, oh, that's, that's an okay table spot. But then they showed the replay. And on the replay, you see that Moxley is just sitting on this table, beaten off, waiting for Yuta to come hit him. Moxley falls out of the ring, 
and then goes and just sits on the table and is like, hey, come on. And then he does it. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. If he would have rolled out onto the table, okay, I'll give you that. But the table is a good five to seven feet away. He has to go sit on the table and wait. And that doesn't make sense. And they would have got away with it. They hadn't shown the replay. Because right. the way they show it live, you just see him hitting Moxley and it goes through the table. And it kind of looks like they fall through the table. Right. On the replay, you can see him just sitting there waiting, not doing anything. Uh, which which really sours that um, uh, spot. I thought there were two near finishes that should have been the finish. Like when Yuta gets kicked on the flying nothing, and I would challenge anyone to tell me what he was going for when he jumps off and just gets kicked and takes the paradigm finish. Or, yeah, the, the paradigm. What's that called, that move? Is the paradigm what? Paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. I just wrote paradigm in my notes. I forgot the right shift. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a near finish. When you kicked out the King Kong Lariat, I thought that could have been the finish. So the rear naked choke felt a little anticlimactic to me. So I, I'll give it two stars. And again, I love wow. the wrestling. When they actually wrestled, it was really good. But they did all the needless garbage stuff. That just came across like we're doing this because we have to. We feel that we have to. And it was poorly executed and poorly done. Even for a garbage match like that table spot. That's the worst table spot I've ever seen ever in any match because of how artificial it was. Well, obviously, I would go a little bit higher. I'd probably go. I figured you would. I figured you sent me this because you knew I would hate it. No, no. I mean, I was... I was hoping you would like it, obviously. I wouldn't send you a match in hopes that you would hate it. Um, but, uh, no, I thought this was really good. I, I, I thought, uh, as far as the false finishes go, I think that's one of the things that AEW does the best, um, is that they do have a lot of false finishes that, that come out well. Um, and this match, you know, combined, you know, the wheeler Yuta style of just pure wrestling with Moxley style, which is more leaning on the hardcore stuff. Um, so, you know, I thought it was a good marriage. Uh, between the two, Leonard did not think so, but uh, that's what makes this fun, after all. You know, but you know what I want to now? I, I would guess that Wheeler Utah fought Brian Danielson at some point, correct? Before, before this, yes. Okay, I would want to go find that match, because I'm thinking that match I would probably really love. Yeah, I, I that one might have been on a dynamite. I forget off the top of my okay. head. Okay, you know what? I'll, I'll go find that. Hopefully I can find that. And maybe in a future show, I'll just quickly mention if I watched it and what my thoughts on that were. Um, but it should be mentioned that Moxley and Wheeler Yuta, I think they had a trilogy. Um, I believe they had mentioned on the commentary to this they had fought before. I don't know if this was the third match or the middle was, match. I think this was the middle one. Okay, but they had mentioned that they had fought before. And that's why I didn't, because another thing I didn't like initially was that he dove outside the ring on the Moxley to start the match, because I didn't think that that was needed but when they said oh these guys have a history then that made more sense oh they have a history well even if to get at moxley that makes more sense even if they wouldn't have had necessarily history like to me that was like based on the promos and stuff before they were kind of trying to showcase that like wheeler you knew he was the underdog here he knew mm-hmm. that he was going up against a guy that was more established and more powerful so the only way he was going to be able to get an upper hand is to hit him right out of the gate um, which I thought was cool. But uh, again, 
Leonard and I have slightly different opinions here. That's okay. Let us know what you thought of the match. If you watched it, it's hard to find. It might not be on YouTube. I sent. Actually, I found it on YouTube. You sent me a link, but then I looked to see if I could find it on YouTube, and I did. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, And I'm guessing I'm going to be in the minority. I'm guessing most people are going to like the match. And here's the thing. I did like it to a degree. I liked parts of it. I'm not totally hating on it. I just like certain segments more than other segments. That's all right. That's all right. Well, let us know what you think. Check out our full-length episodes. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For Leonard, my name is Chad, and we will see you next time. We're doing another one of our random match reviews here, and that happens when one of us has sent the other one a random match, uh, usually via text message, and usually it's a match that we haven't seen, and then we share our thoughts here on the video for you all, and on this occasion, Leonard sent me a match, one of the most random of all which certainly qualifies to be in this series of videos. So, Leonard, why don't you tell everybody what match you said? So, uh, you can find this on YouTube. It is Terrible Ted the Wrestling Bear versus his trainer, Gene Dubois, from Buffalo, New York. Unsure of the year. Uh, The video itself is about 7 minutes, 40 seconds long. And it's in black and white. And commentary is by Dave Meltzer and Jim Cornette. So this is probably from quite a while ago, considering Cornette and Meltzer have been on the outs for several years right now. But to hear them together just talking very cordially is kind of neat to hear. And they don't so much just call the match as they talk about the history of wrestling bears and, and, and bears in professional wrestling. And as I was telling Chad before we came on, how this came about was, I forget exactly what we were watching or something came up about wrestling bears. And my wife thought it was a joke. And I said, no, bears used to wrestle. That was a thing. And so I looked it up. I found this match. We watched this match. And she was very fascinated by the history and then talking about it. And the fact that, as Cornette says, this was something commonly done up until the early 1980s really surprised me. And the fact that guys like Jerry Lawler and Bobby Eaton that he mentioned had wrestled bears on shows. I know Roddy Piper has a story about uh, wrestling bears that he told Joe Bob Briggs when he was on Monster Vision uh, several years, well, a long time ago now, um, uh, when they showed They Live and I think Immortal Dead was the other one. They told the wrestling bear story. And I found another video of a bear wrestling at, I believe it was the Nebraska, no, it was the Iowa, it was the Iowa State Fair from 1973 that was in color, and I believe it was part of ABC's Wild World of Sports. Uh, but they talked about how these bears were, were trained to work with the guys at two minutes and 12 seconds in the video. Uh, the bear hits a snap mare, like an actual snap mare on on the on the guy well, on the to be fair the gene dubois is pretty much just flipping around the bear yes give the bear too much credit here <laughs> well like, the bear the bear puts his arms back and gene flips over gene flips is the over, impression yeah. uh, this is the impression of a snap man and you know like this is obviously an attraction match and uh, yes. but like the actual wrestling that's done is pretty much dubois flipping around uh, the bear and like they wrestle for a second and then like the re- <laughs> the bear 
um, eventually goes after the referee after Dubois at one point shoves the bear or shoves the ref into the bear, I should say, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was was fun. And what makes this interesting is that on a recent podcast, I listened to uh, Something to Wrestle, the Bruce Pritchard podcast. Uh, they talked about when WWF became a publicly traded company and uh, then went to uh, be and were eventually on the U.S. Uh, stock exchange. And they wanted to, they eventually did set up a ring on Wall Street, which, you know, they talked about the history of that. But they wanted initially Vince wanted to have the rock, the Brahma bull wrestle a bear. And at bear that, the bull markets. Yes, exactly. So in stocks, there's a bull market and a bear market. And at that point, Bruce talked about how there wasn't that many wrestling bears left around. There was one in Canada, I think, um, and they were going to have that guy come down. But eventually, that idea got nixed because you don't want a bull or a bear market advertised because a bear market means it's going down. So yeah. you want a bull market, which the Rock was the Brahma bull. Anyway, that's a fun side note. Uh, this match, I this match was fun for what it was. It, you know. It's a good, you know, filler entertainment match, uh, you know, if you're watching a full card. Um, as far as the commentary with Meltzer and Cornette goes, I, I thought that it was really good. And like a lot of these times on the alternate commentary for matches, it is just a history lesson. And I thought that they did a good job up until the Hogan and Nash digs. <laughs> and I realize this is from long ago. And it's like, I'm not a Hogan or a Nash apologist, but it's like that they, that deal is so old now. It's just like the fact that those two guys don't like Hogan. And, I, you know, uh, it, it's so tired now. So yeah, basically tired. it was the dig that the Bear was a better wrestler and had more moves than Hogan. And right. And it just it took me out of it. It really did. And like up until that point, I wasn't thinking about how every single podcast has discredited Dave Meltzer in his entire history of journalism. Like, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was just thinking, here's a guy that knows history, and here's Jim Cornette who knows history. And, uh, you know, Jim Cornette obviously has his fans and his haters. But, you know, I wasn't thinking about any of that up until that day, and it's like, oh, guys, come on. Like, get over it. But anyway, this match itself was fun. Um, I'm glad you sent it to me. Um, it was uh, interesting to watch this after uh, the <laughs> Sherry Medusa match, you know, but... Uh, this would probably be the most random match that would that we'll ever review. Absolutely. Who yeah. knows? We may top it. I, I'll maybe I'll try to figure out what might top this, but Absolutely. a wrestling bear that's going to be hard to beat. I think. Absolutely. Well, if you've seen this match, um, you can find it on YouTube, mm -hmm. and uh, if you watch it, let us know what you think about it um, or what you think about wrestling bears in general. Uh, I think it could be something they could still use from time to time today, but eh, I don't know. Bears I think predictable. So I think well, one that and two, I think that a lot of your animal rights activists would yeah. get on. I, I think that would be yeah. very hard to get get that by today. I think you would have way too much controversy, especially if it was yeah. on something major. I I mean, someone like AEW, like Tony Khan, who does not care, like Orange Cassidy versus Wrestling Bear, yeah. Like 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 if anyone's gonna do it. It would probably be AEW. Oh gosh, I. You need to watch more AEW. I think they. Well, they maybe, take the product maybe, maybe, a little bit more just, seriously than that. I would. I. I would say that because I think that from what I know, that Tony Khan just has an attitude of I don't care what anyone says. That could be partially true. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> but if he does have a bear on, I will be shocked. So, anywho, let us know what you think. Check out our show on uh, Apple Podcasts and or Spotify if you'd rather listen to us and our full-length episodes as well as our stupid questions. And for Leonard, my name is Chad, and we will see you next time.